Hi everyone, you're listening to the February 2023 edition of Aeon's Retirement Market Update podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Ricky Marsh, and I'd like to start by congratulating you all on making it through January. A lot of people go on a bit of a health kick at the start of the year, but I'm afraid I've gone in completely the opposite direction. You see, over Christmas, I carried out what can only be described as a chocolate audit at my mum's house. My mum doesn't really eat chocolate, but she'd built up quite a big collection made up of gifts and leftovers from past Christmases, and I found that most of it had gone past its best before date. So I did my duty as a responsible son by taking it all off her hands, and I spent the last month climbing the resulting chocolate mountain. Long-time listeners will know I've got a bit of form when it comes to out-of-date chocolate, but this was on an entirely different scale. Anyway, I guess I should say something about pensions now. Steve Lee and Karina Klimashevsky will be hopping in later to talk about the findings from our new DC Today survey, but before that, you guessed it, it's news time. Around a week before Christmas, the pensions regulator issued the very long-awaited second part of its consultation on the new Code of Practice for DB Scheme Funding. There are actually two consultations here, but I'll focus on the Code of Practice first. One of the key requirements of the new funding regulations, which are technically still in draft, is for schemes to have a plan to reach full funding on a low dependency funding basis with a low dependency asset allocation by the time they're significantly mature. The draft funding code gives a bit more detail on what this all means. On the investment side, the code suggests the requirement for broad cash flow matching in the low dependency asset allocation can be achieved through a mix of growth and matching assets with at least 90% hedging against movements in interest rates and inflation. TPR also expects schemes in this low dependency state to test their resilience to market movements and suggests that even schemes with around 30% invested in growth assets could be within the acceptable limits. This is one area where the principles in the draft code are more flexible than we might have expected based on the regulations alone. The low dependency funding basis should be prudent enough that no further employer contributions are expected to be required. There's a fair amount of freedom in terms of the individual assumptions, including the discount rate, but TPR says the level of inflation hedging expected in the low dependency asset allocation means it wouldn't be appropriate to allow for an inflation risk premium. In most cases, TPR will also expect the low dependency basis to include an expense reserve. Then there's the question of significant maturity itself, What does it actually mean? Well, they're still saying it's when you reach a duration of 12 years, although we now know this would be calculated on the low dependency funding basis and measured at the end of each scheme year. I mentioned back in October that duration is quite sensitive to changes in market conditions, and the yield rises we've seen over the last year could mean there are a lot of schemes where this 12-year point is now much closer than they realise. TPRs recognise this issue. So the consultation also considers some possible alternatives and we could end up with something different when the final code's revealed. On Covenant, the current four categories of strong through to weak will be replaced by a more holistic approach. The code also introduces the concept of a period of covenant reliability, which is one of the factors TPR expects trustees to take into account when planning their journey to a low dependency state. There's more to come on this though with a further consultation on covenant guidance due later this year. Now, you may have noticed I got through all of that without mentioning Fast Track once. Well, that's the subject of TPR's second consultation. Just as a reminder, TPR had previously said it would adopt a twin track approach to assessing valuations bespoke and fast track. The details of the fast track approach were originally going to be part of the code of practice, 
but TPR's now separated this out to allow more flexibility for changes without having to amend the code. FastTrack will act as a filter for TPR's assessment of valuations, so if a valuation meets all the FastTrack parameters, it's unlikely to be scrutinised further. The consultation gives some more detail on the proposed FastTrack parameters. Firstly, the discount rate used for the low dependency funding basis can't be more than GILTS plus 0.5%. Technical provisions will then be compared with the low dependency liabilities, and the threshold will vary by duration, so schemes with a 20-year duration can meet fast track with a gap of up to 15% between TPs and low dependency liabilities, but schemes that are already at the point of significant maturity, so that's 12-year duration at the moment, won't be allowed any gap. Investment risk will be assessed using a similar duration-based approach, so less mature schemes will be allowed a greater proportion in growth assets. There are also limits for recovery plans, with fast track requiring plans of no more than six years or three years for significantly mature schemes, and no allowance for investment outperformance. Looking at all of this together, the fast track test may be a bit easier to pass than we previously thought. TPR thinks around half of schemes would already pass, with around three quarters ticking most of the boxes. Both of these consultations close on the 24th of March, and the earliest date the new code could then come into force is the 1st of October 2023, but given how long it's taken to get to this point, don't be surprised if that date gets pushed back a bit more. That's a whistle-stop tour through TPR's proposals, but if you want a deeper dive, you can check out a recording of our Funding Code webinar. I'll include a link in the show notes. Having got those two consultations out, 2023 is looking like a year of changes at TPR. We already knew that the CEO, Charles Council, will be stepping down in 2023. TPR have now announced that his replacement will be Norsica Delfas, who had previously held roles at the Financial Ombudsman Service and the Financial Conduct Authority. Ms Delfas will take over that role in March 2023. This year will also see the departure of TPR's Executive Director of Regulatory Policy, Analysis and Advice, David Fares. Mr Fares has been with TPR since July 2018 and his name has probably come up on this podcast more often than any other, but he's announced that he'll be leaving in mid-March to pursue new challenges. TPR will be appointing an interim replacement, but no names have been confirmed yet. The Pension Protection Fund's final levy determination for the 2023-24 levy year was published in December. The PPF's going ahead with all the changes it proposed in September, so that means almost all schemes will see a reduction in their levy this year. The key point to note here is that there will be changes to the asset data needed for this year's scheme return. In practice, the changes won't make that much difference for the smallest and largest schemes, However, those in the middle, meaning those with Section 179 liabilities between £30 million and £1.5 billion, will need to provide a more detailed asset breakdown than they have in previous years. Scheme return requests have started going out now, so if you're responsible for completing a scheme return, keep your eyes peeled. In line with recent years, all schemes will have the same 31st of March deadline to get these submitted. And finally, it's that time again. Yes, Aeon's 2023 Pensions Conferences will be kicking off in Manchester on the 28th of February. That's followed by Edinburgh on the 7th of March, Birmingham on the 14th of March, London on the 21st of March, and Bristol on the 28th of March. I guess whoever scheduled these is a big fan of Tuesdays. This year's theme is The Future of Pensions, Complexity to Clarity. You'll hear from a range of experts, including both of today's guests, with views and ideas on how to manage DB and DC schemes. 
there will also be opportunities to learn from and network with your peers. I'm planning to come along for the London date and I'm particularly looking forward to the interactive session with our global asset allocation team on turning volatility into opportunity, which seems like a great way to start the day. Full details of the agenda and how to register are available on our conference site and guess where you can find a link to that? Yes, in the show notes. And if you'd like more information on this or any of this month's other news stories, I'll include contact details at the end. Okay, we're going to focus on DC schemes for today's interview and in particular on Aon's new DC Today survey. To help with this, I'm joined by two guests who should be familiar to our regular listeners, Steve Lee and Karina Klimaszewski. So Steve, to kick things off, can you just tell us what this DC Today survey is all about? Hi, Ricky. Yeah, so this is the the first edition of of Aon's new regular pulse survey, uh, which essentially is a short survey for DC schemes and sponsors. And it's designed to understand and measure how DC savers and schemes are reacting to the the current economic conditions. And the idea is that we'll repeat this uh, pulse survey every couple of months, and that allows us then to track changes over time in terms of how individuals are reacting to the the current cost of living challenges uh, and what schemes are doing to support them and how that's changing. Yeah, that could be interesting, particularly given what we're hearing about the wider economy at the moment. So what have you found out so far? Well, in this this first edition, it's been been very interesting to see quite the extent of of sort of behavioural changes over recent times. So, one in five schemes have reported a, an increase in members either stopping or reducing their pension contributions over the last few months. Uh, so, this feels like it's quite a direct relation to the the cost of living problems that people might be encountering. Uh, is really having an impact on on how much they're able or, or feel comfortable saving towards their pension, and and on a similar sort of line, we've also had one in six schemes have reported an increase in uh, DC savers actually accessing their their money early. So currently, you can you can access DC pensions from age fifty five, although a lot of people tend to retire from work a bit later than that. But we've seen, as I say, sort of one in six schemes actually reporting uh, an increase in the numbers actually getting money out early. On a slightly different sort of aspect, uh, in terms of sort of the wider um, investment markets over the last few months or so, nearly half of schemes have reported an increase from uh, concerns and queries from members specifically about the investment performance that they've been encountering. Karina, it's probably worth bringing you in at this point. Are you seeing employers and pension schemes doing anything differently in response to this? Thanks, Ricky. Uh, And hi, everyone. Yeah, encouragingly, schemes and employers are taking action to try to provide extra support at this time. And the most common approach we're seeing is providing additional communications with their DC members. And that could be reminding them about the long-term nature of pension saving or the fact that investments may fall as well as rise. It's worth noting that for many members, with the exception of that sharp fall and recovery at the start of the pandemic, this could be the first time they've seen falls in the value of their savings of this magnitude. Other examples of additional communications could be warning members about the long-term impact of opting out or potential impacts on other benefits linked to pensions membership, or even reminding them about any flexibility available in relation to their contribution levels. 
And yeah, just on contribution levels there, mm. are there any auto-enrolment rules that could prevent employers from having flexibility on those? Um, not entirely, no. So going back to our survey, we found that 26% of respondents are either allowing or considering some extra flexibility for members on their pension contributions. And that could be the option to reduce contributions to a level below plan minimums, or in some cases, it could even allow employees to temporarily halt their own contributions whilst the company continues to pay in its usual amount. And while there are some auto-enrolment rules to navigate there, there are ways of allowing that to help members who might be struggling right now with the cost of living without cutting them off from their pension saving altogether. It's worth noting that for those members who you do offer that to, um, it's important and uh, key to try to make sure there's an easy or automatic process to get contributions back up to those appropriate levels at the right time. So, for example, as part of a triannual um, re-enrolment process. And Steve, what do you think the long term implications for pension saving rates could be? Well, in terms of the the longer term, what we're really concerned about is is the impact that sort of changes people have people make now. That what what the impact might be on their their sort of adequacy of their retirement savings when they do come to retire. Uh, and we we've asked schemes, you know, whether they've been looking at this. This is certainly something that that we've we've been looking at in quite a lot of detail. And uh, I think we found about about a third of schemes said actually yes they have. They've they've kind of looked into the impact of uh, recent conditions and changes on the likely outcomes for members from their their plan. Um, you know, and around, around half of schemes also said, well, we haven't looked at it specifically now, but this is something that we do look at on, on quite a regular basis. And I think this is really important to think about, um, you know, what, what might be the long-term impact of, of people making changes, e either members um, sort of making changes to their contribution rates or also thinking about sort of wider market returns. And from a contributions perspective, we know from our, our sort of research, if you're familiar with our, our DC tracker reporting, uh, we, we've um, modeled the impact of somebody opting out of pensions and then, then being re automatically re-enrolled three years later. And that can have a real significant impact on, on the amount they, they need to save just to get back to the same level of pension. So for a still typical 30-year-old who, who opts out and is re-enrolled in three years' time, they'd need to save more every single year until they retire just to get to back to where they started before they'd opted out. Um, not always quite so clear-cut with the, the investment side of things. So although we have seen falls in uh, lots of investment values over the last 12 months or so, the the um, relationship in terms of bond yields and retirement income and also thinking about future return expectations, it means that, that most for most people, their pots would actually probably go further than they would have done. So it's, it's not always an obvious um, relationship between sort of investment values falling and longer term projected outcomes falling. Um, so it's, it's a bit more nuanced there. But as I say, if members stop contributing, then obviously that is going to have a real impact on their retirement plans. And for a lot of people, they could end up needing to work for a lot longer than they wanted to. So, Karina, just following up on what Steve was saying there about impact on members, do you think some groups might be more effective than others here? Um, yeah, good question. So if you do look at adequacy for your scheme already, it's possible to split out different factors to determine if there are any segments um, that require additional focus. 
So just thinking about the types of segments those might be, one example is gender. Um, and if you're signed up to our pensions conferences this year, you'll see me or one of our team talk about the gender pensions gap as part of a lightning talk. Now, research suggests that there could be a 40% difference in pension income between men and women. Clearly, it's a significant issue. And in the current cost of living crisis, that imbalance could get worse. The other interesting thing about gender is that around 50% of that gender pensions gap is due to non-salary related factors. And we're seeing an increase in the number of schemes estimating that gap and determining key factors that are impacting that for their scheme to work out which targeted actions to take. Now, whilst some of the wider actions relating to the gender pensions gap might be for the government, such as widening the criteria um, for auto-enrolment, there are some actions that trustees and companies running pension schemes could take too. To give some examples, um, looking at financial education, targeted communications, or reviewing your existing comms from a DNI lens. You could also look at policy and structure surrounding your pension scheme. And while a message um, asking members to contribute more at this time is, is probably not the right focus, it's worth thinking about if your employees or scheme members are fully aware of the impact that some of those decisions can have on their pension. So that was quite a bit about gender. Um, also in the current climate, another group that might be impacted is retirees. So Steve mentioned while changing investment conditions mean that fund values have generally fallen, funds are currently providing a higher level of income. But that's no good if a member takes out everything as a cash lump sum. So our research, um, going back to our research, it found that 20% of schemes have started providing additional retirement support for DC members over the last few months, with around that same proportion actively considering putting more support in place for specific groups. So while different groups could be affected in different ways, whether that's at the saving stage or at the point of retirement, it's it is really encouraging to see so many schemes and employers proactively taking steps to help at this time. So to wrap things up, it's always good to give our listeners a few practical takeaways. What immediate steps would you both suggest that DC schemes should be taking now? I'll, I'll go first on this one, Ricky, if I may. So I think for me, it's really key that that schemes and people looking after pension schemes really closely monitor the behaviour of their members. Um, and, and proactively plan ahead for possible actions they can take. So what I mean by this is don't wait until tens or hundreds of employees have opted out of the pension before you do something. Uh, really sort of think about, OK, what's, what sort of things are we seeing? Are we starting to see any sort of small increases in, in sort of members doing things which we think might not be in their best interests? And if so, what can we do about it? And, and say, don't wait until it's too late to, to put plans into place. Yeah, and just to add to that, Steve, think about if there are any groups of members who are impacted and consider if you need to put in additional support in place for them at the current time. Well, that's a good place to leave it. So thanks to both of you for coming on and we'll make sure we include a link to the first DC Today report in the show notes for this episode. Thanks, Ricky, and thanks, everyone. Thanks. Okay, that's everything for today. So thanks again to my guests, Karina Klimaszewski and Steve Lee, and thanks to you for listening.
it's time for me to polish off the last four out-of-date truffles, followed by a couple of weeks on a treadmill to offset my January overindulgence, but I'll be back with another episode next month. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget you can subscribe to the series through all the usual places, including the Apple Podcasts app and Spotify. If you'd like more information on Aeon's Wealth Solutions, or you want to feature in a future podcast, you can contact me on ricky.marsh at aeon.com. Otherwise, please visit our website or email talktous at aeon.com.